rooted core truths for a confident faith. And this morning we're looking at the Christian teaching of salvation. And much of what we've been talking about in this sermon series has been leading up to this point, this morning. Salvation is the very heart of the gospel. But today we tend to think salvation primarily as a future reality. When you die, you go and be with Jesus, and that is when you are saved. But for Jesus, salvation has significant effects, not just for the future, but for the present reality. Speaking to a group of Pharisees, Jesus tells a parable about a man who gave a great dinner and invited many. And when the time came for the party to start, one by one, the guests made their excuses on why they're not coming. And so instead of canceling the party, which actually would have been better for this man's social standing, he does something remarkable. He invites people who are on the lowest end of the social scale in that day, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So on one level, this parable has a very practical implication. Right before Jesus shares this parable, Dewar pointed this out in verse 13. He says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then he shares this powerful parable. When you have a party, Jesus says, invite those who cannot repay you. Jesus is saying that kingdom living is to be lived out here and now, not just in the age of the resurrection. Salvation is about the future and the present. God wants to save not just our own souls, but save us from destructive patterns of living. And yet there is a deeper level, a second level to this parable, a parable that points to God's eternal banquet, the banquet that every single human who has ever lived is invited to. The image of the biblical feast points to a future when God will resurrect all his people in an age to live with him in eternal joy. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah speak about this. The Lord will swallow up death forever. He will make a feast for all people. A feast of rich food and well-aged wines. Then the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And it'll be said, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. Isaiah 25. The great dinner refers to our salvation, the life of the age to come. But fear not all my introverted friends. Heaven is not one endless party, but it is rather a life fully realized as God originally intended it to be, free of darkness and decay. That is the banquet. 
at the end of Tolkien's classic work, The Lord of the Rings, in the final book, Return of the King, once evil has been destroyed, the hobbit Samwise Gamgee asked the wizard Gandalf if everything sad will come untrue. At this banquet, we are told that God will wipe away every tear from all faces. Everything sad will come untrue. Friend, even your deepest wound and greatest sadness, somehow the Lord will turn that into glory as well. Jesus' parable prompts each and every one of us to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with God's invitation? This is an invitation to salvation. And there is nothing that you have done or could do that earns you a right to this banquet. As we talked about in our second week in our current sermon series, the fall and the effects of sin have contaminated all of creation right into our very own hearts. And we are stuck in a downward spiral, unable to save ourselves. And just, just look at the world outside and tell me it's any different. This is the reality in which we live in, a downward spiral. But this is exactly why Christ came. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. To bring us hope for the future and a way to live in the present. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he makes a way for us to be reunited with God. He deals with our sin once and for all. That is how we are invited to this banquet. But of course, we ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? For this to happen. The New Testament provides us with a number of images that help us understand the work of Christ in getting at that question, why did Jesus have to die? Each image, in a way, is a metaphor explaining how Jesus' death and resurrection atone for our sins. I actually want to highlight four of these images, and Dawn is going to be talking about this in Sunday school today. The most prevalent image in Western Christianity is one that many of you are probably familiar with. It is that of the courtroom. In this understanding of the gospel, we all stand before God, the perfect judge. Our sentence is death. We have made this happen on our own doing, and Jesus steps in and takes our punishment on our behalf, and we get to go free in Romans 5, we read, But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God, the courtroom, the language of justification. The second image is less familiar in our Western culture. It is that of the sacrificial altar. At the time of Jesus' death, the use of animal sacrifice to atone for sins, for sins was still a common practice in religious life. A priest 
would act as a mediator between the people and God and go into the temple and offer an animal sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. Speaking about this ritual, the late theologian Shirley Guthrie wrote, it was a sign of the people's sorrow for their disobedience. This was them offering their lives to God and cleansing from the stain of their sin. In John's gospel, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Hebrews, Jesus is, co- is called the great high priest, the priest who offers not the life of some innocent animal, but his very own life. The third image explaining the work of Christ comes from that of the battlefield. There is a war going on between God and the devil, and all of creation is at stake. In Colossians 1.13, we read that he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Throughout scripture, Jesus is depicted as a king who conquers, who battles sin, death, and Satan. This image was actually the most prominent in the Christian church, the image of the battlefield. This was the way Christians talked about the gospel for a long period of time until John Calvin, who is the father of Presbyterianism, adopted and made the courtroom image his favorite. And so by nature and by virtue of that, we talk about the courtroom much of the time today when we reference the gospel. The last image I want us to look at is that of ransom. In this image, humanity is held captive, enslaved to sin and death, and Jesus buys our freedom with his own life. He is our redeemer. In Mark 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We find each of these images in scripture and they all help shape various theories of atonement that the church has been working out for thousands of years as we try to interpret what God has done in Jesus Christ. But no one image can fully represent the entire message of the gospel. Each metaphor breaks down at some point. The courtroom, the sacrificial altar, the battlefield, ransom, all of them have something very important to say, something very true about who God is and about our situation. But independently, each one doesn't share the full story. But we have these images to help us understand what God has done for us. Each image upholds the reality of sin, the saving nature of God, and the emphasis of grace. Friends, that's exactly what God wants us to understand about salvation, grace. Being a good person does not get you into God's banquet. You are simply invited As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result 
of works. This is what makes the good news so incredibly good. It is grace. God shows us that his love is powerful. He comes to save us and to show us not just a future that he has for us, but how to love and be human in the present. For Jesus, salvation is and always has been about the future and our present situation. Yes, we are saved by grace, period. But as the Apostle Paul says in Romans, we do not allow this grace to become an excuse to continue in our sin. Genuine faith and genuine love of God produces genuine love of neighbor. And we ought not to look over the fact that Isaiah 25 describes God's banquet with all peoples. Our parable this morning was a story about the marginalized and outsiders being welcome to the party. In Luke 10, when a lawyer asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus first refers him to the law, and then when the lawyer persisted, Jesus tells one of the most famous parables in the history of Christianity, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of an unlikely foreigner carrying for a stranger. What must I do to be saved? The lawyer asks Jesus. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor in a radical way. Salvation allows love and shalom to be pulled from the future into the present. And you start to see the light breaking in and revealing what it is God wants us to be, how God wants us to live. That is why we pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Experiencing God's love, allowing it to change your heart, to help you see your role in God's great narrative, it all begins with a simple step of faith. The seed of God's word, you have to allow it to take root in the depths of your heart. And no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, perhaps you've been coming to church your entire life. Maybe you're visiting today for the first time. Maybe you have made numerous faith commitments in your life. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. For all of us, every day is about renewing and refreshing our faith in Jesus Christ. And starting is as simple as saying yes to God's invitation, saying yes to God's grace, saying yes to God's salvation, saying yes not just to my future, but to a salvation where God wants to rescue me from the stuff that I'm wrapped in right now. 
my doubts, my fear, my anger, my sin, whatever it is, God's salvation wants to say yes to that and the next thing. It's powerful. It begins by acknowledging before God that you need saving. It begins by saying, God, I have sin in my life. Will you please rescue me? I say yes to the banquet. I say yes to salvation. Friends, wherever you're at this morning in your faith journey, anytime you hear the story of God's salvation, it is an invitation for you to renew your faith and to say yes to Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you are saved. It is God's gift. It is the good news. It is the very reason we are here this morning. Let's pray.